Everyone was going through fighting. <laughs> you know what? This Backstreet Boys, they came back after a huge hiatus, okay, of some ten years or so. I think last time they were active was uh, when I was in first first year in college, two thousand five. Two thousand five. Yeah, dude, exactly. They came with an album ten. called Incomplete or something. Incomplete. Yeah. I, I, so knowledgeable about Backstreet. Boys. I'll tell you why. Dude. I'll tell you why. Because um, my roommate and I, we were like crazy fans of Backstreet Boys. Dude, everyone has been a fan. He, of he bought a five point one speaker system into the hostel, and we used to play that song. The new album is mm. so kick-ass. Like who recommended it? I've not heard of their new yeah, album. They released a new insane. album. Are they still Backstreet Boys? They're still Backstreet Boys. They're, 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 and they look the same. Should we start again? That's fine. Okay. They look. Yeah. The, they look the same. I, I I would have thought they would have become Backstreet Men or something. No man, there's yeah. just one guy. The, the dude with the long hair looks really old. He but is. I think that is uh, Kevin, right? Kevin Richardson. Yeah. He's got long hair. He's the oldest one. He still has long hair. This the way he used is to he have it. Is he the one with 90s. the thick eyebrow and yes. mustache? Uh, yeah, yeah. Mooch also, right? But yeah, yeah, and everyone looks really young, and they're all dancing in sync. It's insane how they've still kept up. To you should have seen that James Corden's uh, the rap yeah, battle yeah, dance. Yeah, yeah. With, no, no, no they, he came Charlie and Puth. the rap battle was a Charlie. Puth. James Corden. He came, he he was with them for one of the shows and he danced with them. See, nice. the funny part is like uh, I think it was in two thousand twelve. Okay, huh. so uh, it was their twentieth anniversary, mm-hmm. and they had this cruise. It seems like uh, around the world or something with Backstreet Boys and their fans and all that kind of jazz. <laughs> cruise, <laughs> dude! Imagine Boys being on that cruise. I would have gone, man. Really, I would, if yeah. I could afford it, if I would I, have gone. If I'm a seventy-five-year-old guy, I would have gone on that cruise. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. If you were a forty, like forty-year-old mom, <laughs> single mom. <laughs> no, dude. I was a huge Backstreet Boys fan. Yeah. So yeah, so that thing happened, and I'm like, they still exist, but they've they've given us a lot of. See, I think for most of our generation, they are like the foundation to step into Western music. We grew up listening to Indian music, and their albums were probably the first ones we started listening as kids to the English music and stuff like that. That and Westlife and Blue Boy Zone, (laughs) Boy Zone, Boy Zone. Blue had that all all rise, (laughs) my love. What is that other one? One love, one love, one love. Make me wanna. What is that? Yeah, that uh, is my favorite song let's actually. Talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, but those are. I think. N sync. N sync. N sync. Yeah. Yeah. So I think. Uh, oh, I just forgot about our listeners, man. I mean, we oh, just were. We're talking about the history of boy bands. <laughs> All right. So welcome to another episode of Writer and Geek Show. Today we are joined by Rupan Paul, another famous Paul, apart from the other Pauls who are. Having boxing matches and stuff like that. <laughs> this guy is more of an upcoming star in uh, podcasting scene, which with the Right Room podcast, and is an established stand-up comedian from Bangalore, Rupan Paul. Thanks, guys, for having me on my podcast. I feel like so great in this point of my career because I'm doing a podcast, but this is setup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th- you cannot call this a setup. It's like <laughs> a rudimentary setup. <laughs> you guys have. A- See, I'll tell you the, the main thing uh, before we get into this podcast. Okay, the main thing about being professional in the entire media scene, right? Is you should have a MacBook. <laughs> you gotta have one. <laughs> I think yeah, it's it's more of a uh, uh, it's like showing others that you are into media or you are into programming or yeah. you are into some photo editing kind of thing. Because if you have a Mac, that's a validation that you know you are into some media kind of a stuff. Yeah, yeah. I know there are listeners listening to this who like only do emails on Mac. Chi. <laughs> hey, I was actually talking to Vishnu about it yesterday. Was it yesterday? Like, what if a guy buys a Mac MacBook Pro just so that just so that he can uh, you know write and stuff? Oh yeah, I know people <laughs> who buy twelve twel- core Macs uh, just to do uh, you know blogging and all that kind of stuff. I don't know why. 
because i was planning on you know i'm pla- i'm planning on buying a new laptop so i was talking about it like i'm going to go for the basic one you know which i can just right hey, edit come on shankar you're not that bad but <laughs> you're like no, a talented dude yeah but <laughs> not in the field of technology i don't know jack oh. about technology yeah so um we are joined by rupen now we are going to talk about something uh, which is a topic which we briefly touched in our in one of our previous episodes about bitcoin we'll try to go in depth into uh, the topic today um, yeah so we're going to talk about cryptography yeah because the last time uh, we had a conversation he's the only guest we have had in our podcast right on a podcast so uh, the thing is uh, yeah we had to send him 100 emails uh, yeah. requesting him to ah, join finally he responded and yeah, i was like i felt on top of the world yeah like i'm so wanted that i brought my own mic for this podcast <laughs> <laughs> it's more or less hey guys i can i please be on your podcast i'll even bring my own mic <laughs> so yeah the last episode which we did with him like the thing was it was not geeky enough right so so yeah this time we are back with uh, something pretty awesome uh where do we start all right great man i think the first time uh, so when was the first time did how did you guys know about cryptography like very briefly yeah to see uh, the first time i came across cryptography was uh, through the wi- childcraft books childcraft was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they before, before wiki before wiki yeah before wiki yeah, yeah. so uh, they had this uh, thing about uh, the caesar cipher and like some Egy- egyptian cryptography based on you know drawings mm-hmm. and all that so that's how i got to know about it then uh, they had explained a little bit about world war 2 and how the enigma machine and all that thing right. came up that's all i knew about it and i think even my beginnings would be somewhere there but i was more interested when since i was um, more into computers as i grew up i was more interested in this as- aspect as well a little bit mm-hmm. that's how i came to know about it then of course we moved on and as i grew up i read some books like digital fortress by dan brown was one yeah. of the uh, major books which inspired me to learn more about cryptography and stuff yeah how great was that book dude I that think that was, was that, that was his first book I, if I remember. Was that right. his first book? Yeah, it was ni- it was released in 99 much before uh, Da Vinci Code which was in 2004. So it was uh, Digital Digital Fortress, Deception Point, Da Vinci Code, Angels and Demons. Yeah, Angels and Demons came before. Uh, yeah, Angels and Demons then Da Vinci Code, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that that was the first book that you know introduced me to cryptography. It was insanely fascinating. Yeah, I, the first time I read that, uh, it just went over my head, and I really? had to read it. Yeah, because I was not into like these kind of stuff. It took me. Yeah, a lot it, of, it talks a yeah. lot in terms of little bit of technicality of stuff, right? Where yeah. uh, they talk about encryption and using yeah. the multi-core processing computer to Correct. kind Correct. of crack the Super code and stuff and like that. that right? Yeah. Yeah, but no. The thing with Dan Brown is, um, Dan Brown is great, especially if you're a fan of uh, history and science and trivia and, and all this geeky stuff, right? Dan Brown is great because his history and his research is accurate. It's not made up stuff. It's it's always about he's he's actually gone into museums and libraries and he's consulted like uh, researchers and scientists, scientists, scientists. <laughs> <laughs> That's how educated I am. And scientists, guys, <laughs> and scientists, and he's he's come with all this facts. So I think even Deception Point, right? Like actually, all of the things like Vishnu was saying, uh, all the things he talks about encryption and the history of uh, crypto are all accurate. Right, and I think that's. Uh, but but I think you were telling me earlier before we started this podcast that it started in uh, Egypt. Yeah, like um, around like two in two thousand BC, like nineteen hundred BC or something. Like the, it was more based on uh, encrypt, like uh, yeah, inscriptions based on you know uh, drawings. Like if you want a uh, portrait of bird, they'll draw a bird kind of stuff. So it was not exactly uh, cryptography, but that's where the origins uh, come from. then it came to you know um, 
Chanakya. Right. Like he, so wait, before yeah. we get into the Chanakya, so in, are you saying like in Egypt, they just drew things hmm. which were codes for uh, concepts and stories and ideas? Yeah, corresponding, whatever corresponds to so it. So like, are you saying like, in, if you go to Egypt, there are only certain, there will already be certain people who will like look at a picture of a bird and be like, oh, actually this means something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, uh, then uh, we come to India. Mm-hmm. where our own uh, chanakya he 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 had written uh, arthashastra right so there it has uh, it's mentioned uh, like he has mentioned about cryptography like the indian espionage team they have used uh, inscriptions based on cryptography and yeah that that's they had that an espionage team me, yeah because I, I, yeah i think india also had this cryptography thing i remember reading an article in one of uh, one of the books which was for kids it's mm-hmm. it's it's a publication which comes out every week in malayalam mm-hmm. uh, it's called balarama so when i was a kid i was reading it there was one um, article in which uh, they mentioned about how in kerala cryptography was used which was much similar to the substitution cipher which uh, julius caesar, caesar was using yeah, yeah so i think Uh, independently across the world this uh, the way of cryptography was developed uh, during times and during that is time? interesting yeah do you feel uh, this the, the time at which um, chanakya wrote atishastra and caesar were more or less the same time or mm. how how different the times were see uh, chanakya lived uh, during you know 300 bc 320 bc or something 320 to like 200 something bc mm-hmm. and julius caesar was like 100 bc Okay. Yeah, just before Christ. Just before Christ, so mm-hmm. like there is like two hundred years of difference. Wow. Chanakya lived all year. Right, and, and of course you cannot rule out the possibility of uh, you know education from here and there because we were really surprised when we did one episode on the Kannada language mm-hmm. where uh, Greek literature also had a little bit of Kannada in uh, embedded into it. So you don't know what kind of communication they so had. So you're saying that um, the this, the kingdom. different kingdoms were influenced each other yeah so right. the cryptography could have started Traveled. anywhere and just gone it across to across europe and you know right okay well i how how i am sure that our like each civilization and kingdom had its own cryptography technique but how i think caesar's um caesar's cryptography techniques stand out in history because even when you read deception point the intro into the uh, sorry not deception point digital fortress the intro into cryptography is from caesar's time and i think that's that's not to do that caesar that has nothing to say that caesar's was more advanced i think that caesar's kingdom was had much more uh, people to speak about it yeah i think it's because mainly because it was holy roman empire right yeah. it was the most uh, um, important civilization of its time mm-hmm. right and it got all the attention from around the world it as you said caesar's uh, cryptography was it was not a tight cryptography or something anyone could have easily broken it just substitution right or uh, yeah. but but the main reason it was more popular at that time is because it was at such at a place where everything was happening kind of a thing right right yeah so i think what was what was his techniques his techniques were so uh, Mail sub substitution substitution cipher substitution cipher and before before we get into this, uh, just for the listeners, if you if you if you encrypt a text and the text becomes um, coded, then it's called cipher text. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, if you decrypt it and you it comes to a language where everyone can comprehend and understand, it's called plain text. Plain text, right? So I think uh, Caesar cipher was basically uh, substitution, right? Most substitution. Of, so what what is substitution cipher? Could you quickly? So what it does basically is that it uh, replaces a t- alphabet in a text by another alphabet. Maybe it can be like you know A gets replaced by D or uh, you know B gets replaced by E. So you basically run the uh, cipher through each alphabet in the t- text in the sentence, and just shift it by 
a number of characters right so what you get as an output is looks like a complete you know nonsense but uh, if you run the encryption back like you shifted uh, uh, you know left by this many places it will become a proper yeah, uh, plain uh, text and in case of uh, caesar's cipher it was uh, three uh, sequence shift like uh, a becomes a b c d yeah a becomes d b right. becomes uh, e that kind of stuff so yeah and i'm sure i'm sure they would have kept changing it from every day because he's being the smart emperor that he was right he would have kept changing the key like every uh, every day because i think the biggest thing is see when you have a code right and this is throughout from the history card to current day cryptography the whole thing is like is someone smart enough to break this because and then everyone keeps tweaking their um, technique based on that yeah. yeah it was a constant war between uh, the encryptor and the person in the middle right so um, even when it comes to military secrets as we'll see later in our episode when you discuss about world war and all those things uh, it was always a constant war between the person who is creating the uh, cryptographical algorithms and the person who is trying to break it so obviously you cannot keep running the same cryptography over a period of time where someone just figures it out later yeah and uh, especially in case of uh, caesar's uh, cipher it was uh, it is said to be like pretty easy to crack it because you can just check the frequency of a letter and then find out which you can replace it with correct yeah correct. so uh, yeah though that, that worked back then yeah because yeah, i think it will never work it in today's world yeah that frequency uh, the repetitive frequency thing those letters are called cribs so if you look at english language right uh, e is the letter which appears for the most number of times right. so i remember a story in uh, sherlock holmes yes. called uh, the dancing men if you have read the story uh, there is a kind of cipher which is used where people uh, there's a group of people who are like these underworld guys or something they use dancing men to uh, you know substitute alphabets so this guy solves the case looking at the those he starts breaking the code by looking at the frequency of a particular symbol which represents e because e happens to be the alphabet which appears for the most number of times right and there are some words like the is which appear a, lo- a lot of times in a particular sentence or a paragraph right? right so this is a weakness of a substitution cipher where you can figure out patterns patterns uh, repetition and all those things and then um, you know kind of break the code that is a one big weakness of substitution ciphers right i think so which is why he probably that probably became outdated after in a very short span of time yeah. i'm sure right so which is why um, uh, i think he put out another type of cipher called as a transposition cipher which hmm. basically means that you you arrange letters and you arrange the entire plain the, the text which has to be coded in a particular pattern and then you break it into um, rows and columns and then you change the text so basically you're not replacing a character by another character but you're changing the pattern in which those characters appear in a particular sentence yeah if you are trying to visualize it's more like writing the letters left to right or up and down in a in rows and columns right if you're writing it down as columns you read it in rows so the words okay. get completely jumbled Correct. unless you know how it has been arranged as a square you cannot decrypt it so the Correct. key here was letting the other person the uh, the other person should know in what way it is arranged so that is how he decrypts it correct correct i think uh, one of the one of the techniques which they use is the concept of squares perfect squares right so they uh, somehow get whatever message they want to convey to like each other and the exact the number of characters in that passage would be like a perfect square like 25 or 36 or uh, 49 or so on right and then you arrange you arrange it in the first like with 49 for example you arrange it in uh, rows of seven characters and then instead of reading it row wise read it column wise 
yeah so this but the thing is the only thing is people had to know that these techniques uh, so the coder and the decoder had to know that this was a technique that was applied yeah that's a problem right whenever you if you're trying to transfer the key and someone uh, intercepts the key then he gets the key to the cipher right yeah. so that, is that was a, yeah. is that problem called the man in the man in the middle attack so man in the middle is something like you're trying to send information suppose you are sending a message to shankar and i try to intrude and uh, you know intercept the message before it reaches him that is called man in the middle so i am the man in the middle in that case okay so that this is just something that uh, code makers and code uh, code makers keep in mind so yes right okay yeah. so one thing i read uh, about re- with regard to this thing is that uh, someone called agusto krushov he lived in the 19th century i don't I, I i'm not even sure if i pronounce it right yeah. so he had come up with this thing called like a kirchhoff's principle so it had like seven or eight points but uh, uh, most of those things does not hold true in, in the present uh, scenario but the second point which he made was like the en- encryption key should be uh, secret not the mm-hmm. encryption method see because the encryption both the, both the say that again the encryption yeah, the encryption key should be the secretive thing or not the not method the encryption method mm-hmm. so that means even if you publicly state this is the method i'm using to encrypt this particular thing nobody yeah. should be able to decrypt it so if you are into programming right. you would have heard of des and aes and rsa yeah. programming yeah. methods everybody knows how Both it works yeah. but still even if you are given a key which is encrypted yeah. using rsa you can yeah. still not decrypt it i think this comes in uh, play uh, with regard to enigam uh, enigma with, with regard to enigma machine because uh, it, the folly in germans part, like uh, in germans part in that uh, whole thing was that their key got into the hands of yeah. the uh, allies yeah correct correct so enigma is one of the most um, i think famous or infamous machines which was constructed for cryptography during the world war right it was a marvelous machine uh, basically what it used to, so i'll just try to explain the the basic construction of the machine so it had a typewriter kind of a thing which was used for inputting um, characters which is a plain text and it had three rotors rotors you can imagine it like cylinders which had right. these alphabets or like a number lock yeah number yeah, lock it had some even had more than three rotors yeah no, it, it was initially just three rotors yeah, three rotors till, uh, first war 19 or 1940 right 90, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah so it had these three rotors through which your input passes mm-hmm. it gets jumbled up mm. then it goes to something called a reflection circuit right which pushes it back through the three rotors again so it is adding another three levels of security right so it when it comes out then there you have something like a plugging mechanism where you can again jumble it up yeah you can either acts you know um, use the same output which comes out of the circuit or you can jumble it up by plugging it to some other output this ensured that there were multiple level of um, of encryption of that is happening text, right? yeah the reason it was really secure was you needed an enigma machine to decrypt a right. message which comes of enigma and the arrangement of the rotors and the plugs was the key here correct so the person whom you are sending the information he should know the basic arrangement or the initial conditions of enigma machine for him to decrypt the uh, the entire uh, message which comes through so the position of the plug the position of the rotor all these were the factors uh, which determined the initial state yeah so i think uh, initially it was three wheels right and uh, and initially it was three wheels and then they had like a suspicion like every paranoid cryptographer should have that maybe a messages are getting intercepted right and so i think in the 1940s they added the fourth wheel 
right so and the thing is it was so hard to break this code like if you if you if you think of it as a numbered lock then it's probably a bad example because then there are only 999 possibilities hmm. but this is like 999 and then again there are three levels and again you had that uh, different number of plugs which gives up uh, which makes it 2 to the power 26 wow, more possibilities right because i think you have 26 alphabets in 26. english yes. 20 so yeah. that is like uh, two possibilities um, you're you're switching it into any one of these so that will be around another extra layer of uh, you know insane number of permutation and combination which you need so brute forcing it was an impossibility actually yeah okay so, can you quickly explain what brute forcing yeah, is so the brute listeners? forcing is something like um, trying to break the code by trying many many number of times so let's take a simple example of caesar caesar cipher so you're just substituting the number right uh, the the alphabets a person sits down and he tries all the possible uh, shift keys like if you're shifting it by 2 you get a, a, a um, cipher text if the person is shifted by 3 alphabets you get another cipher test so this person he sits down tries every single possibility one shift two shift three shifts until he gets a uh, you know clear text which makes sense yeah, it's more like the trial and trial error and error method, method. Yeah, trial to and be error. to put the it in a work out all possible combinations yeah which was okay for those kind of cipher test cipher methodologies where you didn't have many number of outcomes but when it came to enigma machine it was next to impossible yeah but the major flaw with enigma machine which led to the breaking of the code was that an alphabet cannot be encrypted into itself so an n never becomes an n r never becomes an r so they try to find out i i mean it's a very complicated thing i don't understand how it was uh, you know decoded or something but that was a major breakthrough for them to devise a way to you know um, um, decipher I the enigma machine when it comes to the decoding part uh, i think it was a polish Yeah, who were able to yeah. crack it and Turing also right Alan no, Turing so very big misconception machine, yeah. very big misconception mm-hmm. is see right now we talk about enigma right everyone just thinks of one person it's not Alan yeah. Turing as is the case with every invention just like how we people think like Steve Jobs and the iPhone are the are the same right it's not there are thousands of unseen people like like you said the poles were the yeah. first people so Alan Turing he made the Turing machine which could easily Uh, decrypt the But that came much, yeah. later, much later after the polls yeah. yeah so it that was, was ba- built based on the principles of the polish uh, mathematicians yeah. correct uh, yeah also before we continue we are having a little bit of snacks so if you hear some chewing noise there is snacks going <laughs> on there's a beautiful rain outside so it's like an amazing evening we're just yeah, enjoying guys. it yeah so um it's the life yeah we were at alan turing ah uh, yeah let's just continue and yeah polish and one other breakthrough was that uh, one of the u boards Were, right uh, like it had an enigma machine inside yeah, it right was shot down and uh, shot down it was basically it was it was basically sunk okay uh, so bombed i guess it was basically sunk torpedo. at sea torpedo yeah it was torpedo down so that satisfied the second condition where you need an enigma machine to yeah. decrypt an enigma and they no and also apart from the, the thing is like the germans didn't uh, overlook a lot of small things like they built this insanely great machines they added the fourth wheel so they were already way ahead of everyone okay but the thing is they did not look at one simple thing like what if we get captured and yeah. then our books and machines there are two things so you have the machine but the thing is like you said earlier the podcast and you can't just have the uh, process and the 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 formula and the algorithm you also have to have the key right yeah and that code those code books were like the most important keys to decrypt messages 
and they were yeah they were so confident about themselves that they yeah. never it's thought about this. yeah <laughs> and they got the manual with that enigma machine from the they did <laughs> they did yeah think about it yeah also they made another mistake like uh, the combination code for the whole ro- rotors and everything they all the uh, encrypted code had that in the front you know first few alphabets were to denote that what kind of combination it were and all that which took a lot of uh, figuring out for the allies but they finally got it so they had all the information at their disposal and i think one other mistake they did was their actually their too much of their love for hitler gave it away because many times they were using words like fuhrer and hail fuhrer like that kind of things in the key so it was kind of easier easier hit Hitler or wow. something like that. So it was very easy of easy for these guys to guess what their secret is. I mean like everyone's be. first guess. Yes. Like just I, like how everyone's first guess for their password will be your name followed by 1 2 3. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or, or else it will be or just password name. or something like that. Or it'll be password. Girlfriend's name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, girlfriend's name is a dangerous uh, thing to do. I don't understand why I want to do that with. Anyway. No, the thing is suppose you break up with that person and you have a new girlfriend. Yeah, then you're still for some reason if they ask you the password, you cannot tell them, right? You can you, oh, you can yeah. be like it's privacy thing you know I don't share passwords. Yeah, I'll just take it as a red flag. <laughs> like yeah. why do you want my password? <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> no, but while what were thing that the Germans I think there are many mistakes like I think the fact that they use Hitler and Führer again and again would have given it away. The other thing is they gave it away is they never doubted that this could be broken at all. And to the allies credit uh the allies knew that now we have the code and they got the code like in 1940 the war ended when did the when did world war end world war 45 45 right i think they had it for four years or something they had it for four years before the war ended right and the thing is the, the germans there were basically two uh, so th- uh, at this point there was france right there were two german ships stationed at france which escaped and made its way to germany via the seas all right and then the germans were like if there's a suspicion that the code is uh, leaked and people know about the enigma then why are these two ships not sunk they have come safely home but actually the allies played very smart they realized if we can't bomb it we can't bomb everything because then they're going to find out and they're going to do something to make the enigma um, yeah they not breakable some of the obvious situations they uh, acted as though they are unaware of that so that others they the germans won't think that their code is being broken mm. so they had to sacrifice some stuff and let things happen the way germans wanted it so as to create an impression that their code was still intact yeah i think these things are pretty well uh, like shown in the movie the imitation game right mm. how they uh, refrain from warning uh, like certain events even right. though they know that it's happening yeah so basically you had the whole thing about this whole uh, field of war is we have to let some things happen yeah yeah which is very hard but yeah you have to sacrifice something right yeah and and i think um, also what is the other thing so so we have all of these things so everyone thinks of alan turing as the one guy who broke enigma right so now it's the poles it's also like i re- i read this book which is called the enigma and which is out on amazon the link to which will be in the description uh, all the show notes of this episode you can go there and purchase and uh, full disclaimer um those are affiliate links so we might get paid a little bit of the percentage of the amount that you pay to amazon Yes. So this book, right? It talks about a bunch of stories related to how this code was broken and how eventually essentially it came down to Alan Turing and his machine, right? Called the bomb. But before this was the Poles, the Poles had a lot to do the Polish mathematicians. And I remember there was this um, uh there was this British mathematician called Dilly Knox. Hmm. All right. Now no one knows about this guy and no one will know about this guy also and he, for a long time he was just in the in like the papers of declassified classified documents which have recently been declassified. 
and he actually had like an emotional breakdown and a physical breakdown because he was break he was trying to break the code by himself and like he nearly got there and the poles beat him to it and he was like how can these people get to, uh, get to that point before me how could they break the code before me and he actually got a point where he started stressing about that about his defeat so much that he actually had died of cancer what <laughs> yeah it's very intense this <laughs> is uh, this is a little like uh, scott and emmonson story right ah uh, yeah 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 we talked about the south pole expedition there is always someone to beat the british yeah <laughs> 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 it's like it <laughs> Yeah, so it was so it was that, and also there was a, there was a German dude uh, who was the first person. So right after, so Enigma came out way before Second World War. So Enigma was out way before Second World War. Yeah. And it was am I safe to say that what was was first um, invented for business? Uh, I mean, if you consider their business, which was more uh, dealing with arms and stuff, because but I'm uh, sure business was mainly that. Yeah, right? Germany <laughs> was preparing uh, for a war since I think 1933 when Hitler came to power. Right. They after the uh, First World War, uh, in the ports, what's what's the con- conference called? Potsdam Conference, yeah. where uh, Germany was de-armed. They started. Uh, First re- World War. Yeah, after First Treaty World War. Of Versailles. Uh, tre- no, Treaty of Versailles. Treaty of Versailles. Treaty of Versailles when uh, Germany got screwed over by. All yeah, that's yeah, what. So sure. they were completely screwed up. Uh, they were de, uh, uh, you know, de-armed, disarmed completely. So they had that bitterness inside that, which was the reason for Hitler to come up. And in right. 1933, he started the rearmament of Germany. I think it should be around that time when no. they would have. No, I have the information here. Super. <laughs> you could have said that a little earlier and prevented Before me from I, I, saying I, I, all this. Yeah, sorry, I was, I was, I was knacking. I just missed the point. I'm right. so sorry. So it was uh, uh, invented by. See, uh, the Enigma machine was invented by this guy named Arthur uh, Sherbis. Right. Uh, and it was during World War One. Yeah, World War One. World War One. Yes. So they used the Enigma even in World War One. That's a news. They they didn't use it, but it was there. Well, but it was there. Yeah. Okay. But I, I'm not sure. So it's one of those. It's, it's one of those many inventions that uh, develop because of war. Yeah. So like, thank tank, God for war. Tank planes and the Enigma machine on the side. Jet yeah. engine, which we discussed yeah. in the yeah, previous. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's so uh, and it's so interesting, right? Like the most destructive thing in like humanity can yeah, give rise to so the, much. Yeah. Not not just the destructive things. Like a lot of the technological advancement is is, is at its greatest during wars. Hmm. If you look at it, yeah. Right, we should have a war, guys. I think soon, <laughs> then we'll develop so much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So um, I think World War kind of uh, accelerated the development of many technologies. Two of them, which were cryptography and computer, right? Computers, Computers yeah. became yeah. a big deal uh, towards the end of the war. I think in fifties, these ENIAC and EDVAC and all those other big computers yeah. started coming into picture, and that is exactly when cryptography also got a boost, wherein the entire power of calculation moved from the brain of uh, a human being into a machine a right? human being or a group of human beings or especially a group of mathematicians mm. yeah. right which is what i think that bletchley park which is in the uh, uk right it was just mathematicians trying to break the code and they could have done it like they were they knew math and all that right but the thing is they didn't have certain things like uh, the the actual credit that that should be taken for breaking the code is the 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 you know the re- removal of those code books and the enigma machines from those ships yeah the, the biggest factor that you have to consider is the human factor right if you are putting a bunch of mathematicians let's say 10 mathematicians into something human beings have emotions and we rep- doing repetitive things we get bored but okay. computers are completely indifferent to feelings like getting bored feelings. and stuff yeah computers don't get bored 
Yeah, yeah, so even if it's uh, it's something that a, a human mathematician can do, and they always are re- really good at it, giving the job to a computer makes it so much easier, right? Yeah. You just start uh, let it run for how much of a time it wants, and it doesn't say no to anything, basically, yeah, you right? Yeah, go take so, a smoke break. So that that back. also helped in the uh, brute force technique which I spoke about earlier. Correct. Because because computers were you know like millions of times faster than human brain. Correct. So processing information didn't take much time for them. So brute forcing became a very popular kind of, uh, you know, um, code breaking system. That is where everything moved into, you know, finding out more secure algorithms, right? Now we hear about RSA, AES and DES techniques and all that. And why, what is the reason for having all these different things? Because at one point of time, these were considered to be unbreakable, but someone came up and broke these systems. Yeah, right? correct. Whenever the computing power increased, right, you could easily break all these uh, codes based on, you know, the length. Yeah, of the yeah. For example, there is this uh, technique called DES, uh, encryption technique, which... Which contains around 2 to the power 56 uh, permutations and combinations. If you're doing a brute force, you can imagine how much that is. But a supercomputer in 99... Do you have an estimate of how much time that will take? For a human being? I think it's it, it amounts to some uh, billions of calculations, right? So wow. even if you're doing it one sec, one a second, mm-hmm. it's going to take more than a human life. I don't know how much 2 to the power 56 actually is. But this was broken in uh, 1998... Seven. 1999 by a supercomputer, this right. uh, DES a- uh, algorithm. That's when they moved into AES and RSA. And yeah, stuff. a funny story about DES. It was uh, previously called Lucifer. <laughs> why, was, well, why was it called Lucifer? What I is have the similarity no between the code and the See, devil? See, I think uh, back then, anything related to computer was seen as something bad. Yeah, it was. <laughs> or it was some cool guy uh, <laughs> who yeah, named it like that. Oh, dude, you, I have no idea because I'm from the I'm Christian, right? From the Christian community and all that, people, there's something called Antichrist in Christian, right? Yeah, yeah. In the last days, the, yeah, the... Armageddon the, and all that. The yeah. end of the... I have the read book the book of, of Revelation. Revelation. Yeah, the, the chapter... Book, the book of Revelation, right? Chapter 13. Many people thought that the computer was Antichrist. That, <laughs> that got transferred later. I think in between it was Hitler, then computer, then so o- Obama. The yeah. So now, now, now everybody <laughs> who comes up... So there are two ways of saying. Some say literally Obama was Antichrist or right. he is Antichrist. It, it's a human. Or some days they say that, see, it's just a metaphorical stuff. So yeah. computers is gonna computer is gonna be the Antichrist. Yeah. Now it might yeah. be mobile phones. I don't know what next. Yeah. So about DES, right? Uh, like in 1973, because of privacy concerns and all that, it was actually the National Bureau of Standards (NIST). They are now known as NIST. They uh, they came up with the proposal that if someone could develop some uh, encryption methods to protect their data and all that. So it was actually uh, IBM mm-hmm. who started this uh, research and uh, okay. this uh, like mathematician scientist called Hans uh, Fiestel. Fiestel. Okay, I'm butchering it again. He He's the one who uh, formed this group called Scripto Group. And he's the father of this uh, Lucifer, which is DES. Okay, so yeah. I think that this, the invention, the development of cryptography had so much to do with just the development of computers in general, right? Because even if you see Alan Turing, right? See, why Alan Turing comes into picture so much as the father of crypto and even the father of AI, like the father of artificial intelligence is traced back to Alan Turing. Yeah, we did an episode on that too, right? On AI? <laughs> yeah, what have we not covered, guys? <laughs> you already plugged in five of your episodes till this point. <laughs> See, that is, that is, I, that's that, like clever podcasting. <laughs> when you do podcasts, you talk about the other podcasts. See, I, 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 no, uh, the general rule in podcasting is 
go to a niche as much as possible we just bent it a little and we decided not to go into a niche so that we can plug in our episodes <laughs> in the very future clever, now, very I, clever. now i'm thinking how i can plug in the toothbrush episode oh my god <laughs> you guys are really smart when was this uh, this road machine machine based that rotating toothbrush in <laughs> 1967 1967 okay, okay. that was a joke <laughs> we don't know yeah so even see the, 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 what are you talking about the development of computers in tandem with the development of cryptography right so the reason why alan during comes into picture again is because uh, they realized that we have all of this information but we need a machine to crunch the numbers right and there was nothing at that point and there was this movie that was called uh, u57 okay basically like based on a u boat based on a u boat right u57 and it's a very controversial film have you seen what, was that, that the u boat yeah, which that, which that which had the enigma yeah, machine that was a, yeah, okay that was so this a was a u boat that okay so now this is a very controversial movie for the simple reason that uh this movie shows that americans were the people who are credited for uh decrypting or uh, figuring out the enigma okay. guess what uh, was the documentary called uh, world war from space even in that wait what are, is this documentary world war from space so they, they what is the perspective in this so it's like they try to they narrate the world war but they are showing it from the perspective of uh, you being in the outer space and watching the you know germans advance and the and the USA advance and all that kind of stuff so from the perspective of space it's yes. a perspective of if you are sitting in a satellite and watching what's happening on the earth it's kind you of that it's so just basically a graphics. is it is it from a side where this person who's uh, the narrative is not taking a particular side it like, is supposed to be that but you can really see a bias on that yeah so where is it biased towards <laughs> It, it goes without saying, right? Yeah. It, it, when it's a US documentary, yeah, it's okay. gonna be so, like, so Americans yeah. won the war. So in that, yeah, of course. So okay. in that, uh, they mention uh, the whole uh, Bletchley Park thing, right? Right. It was transferred to the US and all those. Are you stuff. serious? Yeah, like little bit like that. Isn't I, that like I a crime? Like, like they changed history. Yeah, it, I watched it like two years ago, so I don't remember exactly. But actually, they do take credit for. Okay. The, the not the whole thing if not the whole thing but at least some part of it. Hmm. Which should actually go to the uh, Polish and all that. Okay, because no this uh, this whole thing about this U57 which is movie which is controversial film that came out. Uh it was controversial for one reason that it shows the Americans like I said who won the uh who won the entire uh case of figuring out the enigma, right? But the truth is Alan Turing came up with the idea that we should build this machine and we need this machine and this is the design of this machine and we need this to figure out the enigma and to break the code right but they did not have the uh they did not have the, uh, the what do you say the just the tools to get that machine into place and which is where america came into picture yeah. americans built steady computing machines so what happened was uh, so they're not completely you can't completely take away credit from the americans they yeah. did do their part so what happened was like uh, for the the intelligence which you, uh, uk had right uh, americans provided the technology yeah. uk gave the intelligence and also like a few colonies uh, from where the us could operate see i am not i just said americans have done extremely well in terms of supporting when it came to world war initially they yeah. didn't take part in the war right until mm-hmm. 1941 december 7 yeah but they were su- supporting all these allies in every single way they can and especially as you mentioned computer systems was one of them including ra- all the war ca- war technologies like radar and uh, right. you know missile building technology and all those things they have helped a lot uh, so there is no question about america not supporting but i think the pro- problem is more in the current media where people are not educated about these uh, about these things which have happened and these unknown people 
where people come up with movies and stories where they tweak the uh, actual storyline and try to show up their patriotism and all that kind of stuff but well we can't blame them actually because history is uh, written by the winners right exactly i mean i'm i'm not blaming i'm just i'm just giving a justification to the fact that you are seeing more documentaries which are glorifying um, it from a particular angle than it so if you go and ask japanese they might have a different story to tell about everything Absolutely. right you know what it's very, it's very similar to It, you, like every history like every piece of history right is written by one person from a particular country particular region right and it's it's like this to it like if you're in a battle if like being in a battle is very much like being in a breakup right if you break up with someone then no matter even if how wrong that person is how wrong you are in your opinion you are you are right <laughs> even when you explain it your breakup to a friend you are always going to tell that you know what it was a problem with them i never had an issue and this is what i did i tried my best and things didn't work out that's it's, like, it's always like that's that that's like the story of every history but book you know, every history book is we were right guys but we lost <laughs> we were right unless, our values guys <laughs> unless you love that person so much <laughs> <laughs> which <laughs> let's talk about practical stuff <laughs> yeah so Great. Mm. Yeah so yeah so I think that's the, and but uh, but to to his credit like it wouldn't have happened without Aaron Turing as well yeah. right and uh, and he actually like Churchill actually mentioned this in a speech that like the single most the con- the biggest contribution by a single person to ending world war 2 was Aaron Turing because so much of it because this was what is happening this u boats uh, the the uh, and the submarines right from germany used to come and sink those ships which were getting supplies into england and the uk yeah they so that was their plan no because uk was an island country right it i mean it's still an island country i don't know why i said was uh, it's still <laughs> an island country and the since france was the last major country which was in war and they fell it was just uk which which is what they are showing in that movie what is it called uh, dunkirk dunkirk yeah because france is the next is yes. uk so the best way to make uk fall is by two ways either cut off the, all the support Correct. systems or air attack which is both of them they tried they sent the luftwaffe all the way to britain and uh, they also cut off as much as possible from the sea as well yeah. where u boats were the major yeah. players they attack from attack from the air like you know, this so tactical yeah. imagine what an evil plan that is yeah it's called blitzkrieg they'll yeah. just come they'll drop thousands of bombs and go back so because if you and think about it right because they a lot of the trade comes from the seas right so now they cut that off but now you can grow you can grow stuff on land now they like we are not going to allow you to See, do that exactly <laughs> they used to target fields and all that stuff where they were planning to grow crops thanks to spitfire they could uh, win the war battle yeah. of britain if i remember yeah, right battle of britain and one more thing the, in the sea right how they attacked was they used this oh. tactic called rudel tactic which is like wolf pack okay so, so they be together than, on a fleet yeah yeah rather than going alone they'll uh, form a fleet of u boats and using the enigma machine they'll get the targets where uh, these things are play, uh, like ships are and all that supplies are from the coming from the us right. and they'll go as a pack and attack with all the power they have so that's the tactic they used which was pretty successful for the first few years of world war yeah but it's quite tragic what finally happened to arent during right yeah, and uh, if you dude if you read like his wiki article right If you read his wiki article, it's so ridiculous. There's a line in that wiki article which says, uh, "Alan Turing was considered a risk because of his homosexuality." Yes, yes. Risk. How yes. is that a risk, and man? There's a war going on there. <laughs> Who cares about whether he sleeps with a man or a woman? Man? It's a and risk, like a public given, risk, uh, like treatment. <laughs> yeah. for being homo- homosexual and uh, one more thing is that i think it's not properly mentioned in the movie 
like that aspect of his life and all it just concentrates on how he made the turing machine and how he helped win the war as it should be because yeah. that's that's his contribution yeah so we have all of this going we have the enigma and then eventually so basically caesar from the egypt from egypt and then we have the enigma and then we have world war 2 and enigma developed so much and then i think the enigma was the last uh, biggest non computerized code that made it big right yeah yeah it was the, uh, the first analog code that made it big and then i think we moved to the digital age right so does anyone know like how did that come because of the internet yeah internet was a major thing and when internet came in people see before that it was just each individual machine right so if someone needs to access your data he has to come personally and break into your computer and get it, get your information mm-hmm. but when the internet came basically all the computers got connected by this uh, super massive network anyone who doesn't have a proper security setup in his system can be exploited that's where the internet security forced it's not just internet but again that was a major uh, contribu- uh, contributing factor as well wherein we started developing algorithms to protect the data transfer which happens between the computers and stuff and i think aes was one of uh, such um, uh, algorithm which was developed so what aes actually does is it's it's aes stands for advanced encryption standard um so basically it chops the clear text into 16 bit uh, formats then it applies the substitution and a different permutational cipher on top of that each of the 16 bit um, chops or the 16 bit data collection then it does some other operations some mathematical operations on top of that like then hash th- function yeah then then it, like adding something called salt salt is like a bunch of gibberish that is added to the actual plain text uh, to even more confuse the uh, you know confuse the um, uh, hacker or someone who is trying yeah. because if you add salt it will give a completely different um, cipher text and then this process was re- repeated around 10 times right uh, to make it more uh, difficult so that into 10 is like unimaginable amount of complexity and you can argue saying that you know why just 10 why don't do it 100 or 1000 or 10000 times the trade off is that of uh, efficiency right if you encrypt something so much your computer is going to take as much time to decrypt it so imagine sending an email to someone or opening a youtube video and it takes 10 minutes to load just because the decryption is going on yeah so that's why they had to trade off between the security and the efficiency so that's where in the digital age uh, this am algorithms like aes and all those things came in between um which worked on some basic principles which can probably uh, you know explain um mm-hmm. one way of explaining that is uh there was this public and private key kind of a thing okay, uh, so this is called right? uh, uh, this is the this is part of cryptography which is called asymmetric cryptography yep. that I do yep. yeah okay so basically if you look at all the traditional methodologies right it was called symmetrical uh, uh, cryptography wherein the sender and the receiver had a common key which was used to decrypt so if i am sending a message to you i you encrypt the message using a key and if you receive it on your side you also own the key so that you can decrypt the same thing and the r keys were the same thing basically right mm-hmm. and you know as the as you know the drawback would be that if someone gets access to the key then it's completely compromised yeah, it, it's the same thing so that is where this asymmetric uh, encryption method came into being probably you would want to explain that yeah it's the same thing we just two keys uh, there's a public key and there's a private key and the public key is used to um, encrypt a message so everyone has the ability to encrypt a message if they have access to the public key but the private key is just for the people who are decrypting the messages 
and which is kept a secret and uh, you could also imagine it as a box and like say there are two people like traditionally in computer science is always bob and sally okay so bob and sally bob wants to send a message to sally why not harry fine dude harry cool okay harry wants to send a message to sally yeah. cool harry That's and sally yeah fine dude whatever makes you happy man yeah. cool <laughs> so harry and sally okay so harry uh, has his um, has a box in which he keeps his message and he puts a lock over that box and he keeps the key with himself so bob's key is sorry harry's key is with i told you so harry's key is with himself now he sends the locked box containing the key to sally all right so the person in the middle is like this box is locked i don't have the key i can't do anything yeah. sally gets a box with a lock she does not have the key so what is what she does is she also puts another lock on her own on this box so now this box has two lo- uh, two locks one from harry one from sally right so now sally sends this doubly locked box to harry okay so the person in the middle is like oh my god this has like two locks yeah. i don't have a key to either so i'm just going to let it pass so he pass it now ha- harry gets his uh, this box which has two locks one from his one from sally removes his lock and sends the lock con- sa- sends sally's lock uh, back to sally Sally takes her key, removes her lock, and gets the message. And that's how Harry met Sally. That's how. <laughs> you were just waiting to say that. <laughs> no, this actually. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> how long were you waiting to say that? I think I yeah. could see it coming. I was just it was just like building up. <laughs> But in fact, this happened after Harry met Sally. Well, whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they actually would have met before. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's um, and I I think that's the only the the only thing which I've read apart from all of this is. Um, is rsa which i think which is made it very big time right and uh, i think the rsa is one of the biggest um, cryptography techniques one of, among the biggest cryptography techniques like aes and all of that right hey, by the way is aes used for emails i think aes is still used for uh, uh, ssl certificates and SSL stuff like that yeah uh, do you know that thing which um, like if you work in it or if you work from home right they give you that little key which rsa security i use it for my work the as rsa well. security so, so what what technique is that and what is that? so what it basically so the way we use that is um, when we are trying to enter into your office network from home um it's a insecure line your internet is insecure line right anyone can access and mm-hmm. just get uh, access to your data so what we do is we access the office network so for the office network to understand that this is a computer provided by the organization what we do is we use the rsa secure id in addition to our normal password okay so secure id um has an input where you enter your key it generates another key which is time rotated like it changes based on the time passed mm-hmm. so the key which you have right now will change after half a minute okay. right so that keeps us very keeps it very secure and it there is a similar clock sitting on the other end which validates the key which comes across so it also has a time uh, changing key which is synced across this two devices so i have a token with me and there is a key generated on the receiving end as well which will be validating so when i enter my token if it matches then it knows that it is from my computer this is an extra level of security where uh, there's this time shifting happening right so uh, over a period of time your uh, uh, key keeps changing mm-hmm. right right so right. that's what rsa basically does from a layman's perspective the, for especially the rsa key which they give us to yeah. uh, to work from home and all of that right now because rsa this is the whole rsa algorithm which is named after it's the basically the starting letter of the three founders uh, i think the 
and this is how i knew i started learning about cryptography little before i read uh, digital fortress i had to do a presentation on prime numbers i had to study math right i was like i my the, my undergrad was in math and the thing is this whole thing of rsa works on just one problem called as the factorization problem which because prime numbers don't have factors okay uh, but the product of two primes has only like two primes as factors right obviously so but these primes like 21 if we did 21 21 the factors are 7 and 3, 3 right but these are like really small prime numbers but if you take a really huge prime number and the rsa algorithm uses um, numbers let's say p and q which are two primes right and each number is about 1024 bits so 1024 into 1024 bits right so even if even if you do a brute force attack it's uh, to 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 you know factorize the product of two primes it takes a lot of time and computing resources right right so the the whole strength of the rsa is based on this factorization problem that it's easy to multiply two primes but it's very hard to factorize a product of two primes yeah and um, when you and just because you just that you mentioned that there are two more things that i would want to discuss one is that there is a factor called collision factor when we discuss about algorithms which is like in certain algorithms there are certain algorithms which are used only for encryption you cannot decrypt them basically so there is something oh, called so it's en- only one way yeah so mm-hmm. there is an algorithm which i am familiar with which comes into encryption in you know uh, programming languages like php and all that it's called md5 Yeah, MD5. So what you do with MD5 is that you put your clear text into it. It throws out a hash, and that hash will be uh, the same number of characters in, in irrespective of the amount of text that you input. Like if for a whole paragraph of text, it will be maybe let's say, for example, we'll say 64 characters. It will be 64 characters. Even if you put one character, it will be still 64 character. Right. So it kind of adds a salt inside and all that stuff. So the beauty of that is by getting the out uh, you know by taking the cipher text you can never go back to the clear text yeah so now it's very irreversible yeah so it's irreversible so how is it going to be useful so what basically this is used is for suppose you're creating your username and password mm-hmm. you don't want as an application creator for the user's passwords to be saved in your database so how do you uh, make sure that security is taken care you use md5 kind of ab- algorithm where the password is converted to an hash and mm-hmm. saved it in your database so even if hackers find get uh, ac- get access to your database tomorrow they still cannot figure out what is the password which was used by each of the users so when a user is trying to log in we apply md5 to the password field again hash is the hash is created these hashes are matched with each other if the hash All matches right. the other hash then he's he's uh, authorized yeah. yeah so basically there is no decryption happening there but there is a factor called collision factor which is uh, which uh, determines the strength of uh, algorithm which is one way wherein collision is something like what is the possibility of two different plain text generating the same cipher text which is a very very rare thing that happens in md5 and other kind of uh, you know algorithms that we can actually ignore them and use this for commercial purposes so it should not be like you choose a password and i choose a password both are different but it generates the same uh, hash key so that is the collision factor so there are these kind of algorithms as well which do not have a decryption it, it is just encryption one way i think we had talked about this in uh, blockchain episode. yeah cryptography wow So you can go back and listen that as well. <laughs> <And> you're plugging in. <laughs> <laughs>
yeah so that's i think that's a overview about cryptography if you're going you can go as much deep as you want into technicalities which we don't probably do in our podcast but yeah. our intention is just to get you interested in uh, these things and you can probably we go just, and uh, you know give you investigate more the cake, you yeah know. i'm just here because i want to sound smart so <laughs> <laughs> which you already are i think no 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 <laughs> so yeah, i'm so stupid. yeah yeah but uh, i just ended this one last thing okay i think this is a quote directly from digital fortress right and uh, i think it's with respect to the brute force machine which is there in the story yeah it's called translator it's called translator right and uh, the whole thing is the thing is that you see a quote right and sometimes it's like impossible to break and there's a very nice quote which applies for lot in life also like there's nothing called impossible the impossible just takes longer